Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. This is the greatest commandment. For the next several weeks, we're going to be discussing Deuteronomy 6 and looking closely at how we can love God with the total devotion that both Moses and Jesus call us to. But before we delve into the how, I think it's important we address the why. If I'm going to be totally devoted to someone, I wanna know why I should be devoted to them in the first place. This is why we're going to look into the background of the Israelites and of Moses and try to see from their perspective, their why, and see how it pertains to our why today. So I'm gonna give it to you straight. I'm gonna give it to you up front. Why do we love God? We love God because he loved us and made a way for us. We love God because he loved us and made a way for us. And the rest of today, we're going to be unpacking that main truth. When looking at the Israelite story, we need to understand theirs is a story of freedom from slavery. Long ago, God promised the Israelites' forefather Abraham in Genesis 12 that his offspring would be a great people, God's chosen people, and that they would be given the land of Canaan. If you fast forward in history, Abraham's people came to Egypt when there was a famine in their land to seek refuge. Eventually, they grew so numerous and intimidating to the Egyptians that their Pharaoh made the Hebrews their slaves. Enter Moses, the author of Deuteronomy. As we explore the context questions together, we will hear the rest of the story of both Moses and the Israelites, because their stories are happening simultaneously. And you can find this whole story in the book of Exodus, specifically chapters 1 through 15. And if you want to take the challenge from this week, and I encourage you to, you can read through this amazing account. So let's start with Moses. Context question one, who wrote it? I already gave you the answer. But God inspired the writing of Deuteronomy through 120-year-old Moses. But some will still say that it might have been another author later. But there's great indication that it was Moses because the Bible itself says so. In Deuteronomy 31.9 and 31.24, we read these. Then Moses wrote this law. And in 3124, when Moses had finished writing the words of this law in the book to the very end. Later on in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there are several scriptures that assume Mosaic authorship. And we'll show you those briefly here on the screen. The Gospel Coalition created a field guide for Deuteronomy, and they said this, Moses wrote much of the material in Deuteronomy, and a later editor assembled Moses's writings and added some material, such as the concluding account of Moses's death, which makes a lot of sense because Moses couldn't very well write of his own death. 
And what was happening with Moses at the time he wrote Deuteronomy, where we find the Shema, is that he could not enter the promised land because of his disobedience. So he was handing over leadership to Joshua and preparing both Joshua and the people for the journey ahead. So he wrote three sermons or speeches in Deuteronomy to say goodbye to them and also prepare them for all God had for them next in their story. The Shema is found in the second speech of Deuteronomy. I want to go through a couple things we know about Moses that I think are really important for the story we're entering today. He was a helpless baby saved by God for a purpose. He was a flawed sinner chosen by God. He operated out of his weakness, but out of God's presence and power. And he had intimacy with God. So let's go through those one by one. Moses was a helpless baby saved by God for a purpose. When the Egyptian king felt threatened by the sheer size of the population of the Hebrew slaves, he ordered for all the Hebrew baby boys to be killed. Now, as a mama of three boys, that just tugs my heartstrings right away. Moses's birth mother was so desperate to save his life that she sent him down the Nile in a basket. His name means drew out of the water. In Exodus 2.10, we read, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, experts say that this name is purposeful because just as Moses was drawn out of the water, he was then called to draw the Israelites out of the water they were drowning in, their slavery. Second, Moses was a flawed sinner chosen by God. Moses murdered an Egyptian and fled for his life. You can read that in Exodus chapter 2. He also disobeyed God at the end of his life and would not be able to enter the promised land himself. But God was merciful and showed him the promised land from a distance, even though he would not be able to enter it. Three, Moses operated out of his weakness, but through God's presence and power. When God called Moses to lead the people out of Egypt, he was a little insecure. He questioned God because he didn't think he was equipped to lead. Exodus 3.11, Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of of Israel out of Egypt? And God replies in the very next verse, But I will be with you. Isn't that the grace of God to equip Moses with himself to do the work he called Moses to do? This reminds me of my favorite verse that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And lastly, Moses had intimacy with God. Deuteronomy 34, 10 And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Moses is known as a prophet because he heard directly from God and brought those messages to the people. He first spoke with God in the burning bush to call him to this job. 
And later God gives him his word and will to give to the people in the law. Later, he acted as a mediator between God and the people. Moses pleaded with God on the Israelites' behalf when they sinned against God, and that intercession saved their lives from God's just wrath. I have to pause here and ask you, does that sound familiar to anyone? Who else does that sound like? Jesus. That sounds like Jesus. He is the true and better Moses. Like Moses, he stood between us and God's wrath. But unlike Moses, he did so on a cross. Even now, he sits on the right hand of the Father interceding for us. In fact, Hebrews 3, 1 through 6 talks about this very thing. Jesus is greater than Moses. And Moses was a foreshadowing to the great glory of our leader and mediator, Jesus. Although there are many similarities between Moses and Jesus, there are a few stark differences as well. Difference one, Moses was a sinner saved by grace, chosen despite his faults to lead the Israelites to their redemption from slavery. Jesus was perfect in every way and was sent by God to lead us away from the slavery of our sin. Difference two, Moses interceded for a time between God and the people. Jesus interceded and is interceding still for us today. Difference three, Jesus not only led his people to freedom like Moses, he was the way to freedom. John 10, nine, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God showed his love for us by giving us his son, the way to salvation and freedom. We can receive that love by accepting Jesus and believing in him. So that was, who was the author? Context question one. We're going to do the next two context questions together. Who was it written to, the audience, and when was it written? Let's just get a little bit of context for uh, leading up to the Shema. There was the Exodus, God leading his people out of Egypt. While the people were enslaved in Egypt, they were at the complete rule of a dictator. They were breaking their backs to build the kingdom of Pharaoh. They weren't their own and their children weren't their own, as we talked about before when the male babies were being brutally killed when Moses was a baby. Through God's miraculous wonders, Pharaoh relented and Moses brought them out of Egypt. But God's wonders did not stop there. When Pharaoh changed his mind and came back after them, they were stuck between a rock and a hard place, literally between the Egyptian army and a great sea. But God split the Red Sea in front of them and made a way when there was no way. And from that moment on, God continues in that pattern of going before the Israelites and providing for them at every turn, no matter how impossible, not because of anything they did, but all because of his faithful love to them. But then they rebelled 
In Deuteronomy 1, you can read of their failure to trust God to go into the promised land, the land promised to Abraham so long ago. Even though the Israelites experienced all these signs and wonders of God's provision for them, they doubted him when it came to the actual moment of entering the promised land. How did they do that? Well, they were completely intimidated by the people inhabiting the land God had promised to them and disobeyed by refusing to enter when God told them to. That generation of Israelites, because of their lack of faith, spent the next 40 years in the wilderness and would not be allowed to enter the promised land themselves. But God would wait for a new generation to lead them in. So this is the new generation Moses is speaking to when he gives the sermon where we find the Shema. So the audience is this new generation of Israelites. But this audience also includes us today, redeemed children of God. The Gospel Coalition Field Guide to Deuteronomy writes this, These words were for God's people who were redeemed from slavery in Egypt and preparing to enter the promised land. And these words are for God's people today who are in Christ redeemed from the curse of the law and awaiting our promised imperishable inheritance. The Shema was written for freed slaves from Egypt and for freed slaves from sin. Loving God starts with that freedom. As far as the date of the Shema and of Deuteronomy, where we find the Shema in, it is at the very end of that 40-year wilderness period during the final weeks east of the Jordan on the eastern border of the Promised Land on the plains of Moab. The dating is thought to be in the late 13th or late 15th century BC, which is when experts think was the end of Moses' life. But there are some say that they think it might have been written later, more in the 7th century BC, because they think that this book is the book that King Josiah found when he was doing all of his major reforms during his rule. But just because Josiah found the book doesn't mean that it was written at the same time. So the ESV study Bible's view is that it most likely aligned with the end of Moses's life in the 13th or 15th century. What is perhaps more important than the actual exact date of when the book was written is looking at the meta narrative, how the story fits within the grand story of scripture. And typically we look at the four movements of the meta narrative as being creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. For this particular story, however, I think it's better to look at it in terms of the first exodus and the second exodus. James Whitman and I had a conversation. He works at the Judaic Christian Studies right here in Dayton, and he gave me this fun visual for you. So if you put your arms out like this, you can see it looks like a cross with Jesus being in the middle. We start out with creation. And then we go to fall and you can see it's pretty easy to remember because everything goes downhill from there. And then we get to this first Exodus when Moses led his people out of slavery. 
And then we have Jesus coming after that to do what Moses could never do. He led his people, not only from a redemption from slavery, but from sin itself. So he comes to here, the second exodus on the cross. He is completing this work of grace in a way that Moses never could. He ushers his children into a new land, calling them to be citizens of heaven and paving the way to do so by his life, death, and resurrection. He created a path for our freedom where there was no way. We love God because God made a way. So the next question of the context questions we're looking at is what genre or style is it written in? Well, Deuteronomy is the last of the five books of the Bible written by Moses. And although Deuteronomy has a little bit of everything it feels like sprinkled throughout, it's mostly law and its name means second law because this is the second time it's been given. The other elements of the book include historical narrative, farewell discourse, and poetry. It has a little bit of history in the beginning as it explains the story of what led up to this point. It has the law, and the Shema is situated in the law portion right after the Ten Commandments. And then there's farewell discourse because this is Moses' goodbye. This is the last thing he's going to tell his people before he dies. And that gives a little bit of weight to what he's written, right? This is a purposeful word. He's pleading with them because they will not hear from him again. And then Deuteronomy ends with some poetry from Moses, two poems about Israel's future in the end, in the form of a song. There's some other fun things to know about this, the structure of Deuteronomy. At the time Moses writes, there was a common document called a suzerain vassal treaty, an ancient treaty that kings would use to formalize their relationship between their people and a less powerful uh, foreign kingdom. So Moses would have been familiar with this type of document. He was schooled, he was learned, and he would have given this type of vibe in Deuteronomy to make it more official. And what I see is happening here is God is using something that the people would have been familiar with at the time in their culture um, to create a healthy order and structure between him as their leader and his people. And parts of these uh, treaties we see laid out exactly in Deuteronomy, a preamble, a historical prologue, some rules, which is where we find the Shema. There were some general rules and then they got more specific. Then there were consequences, blessings and curses if they followed those rules and if they didn't. And then it ends with a document clause and some witnesses. And the last fun thing about the structure is it's chiastic, which means it's a sandwich. There is part of it that focuses at the beginning on the past, and there's part of it at the end that focuses on the future. And we find the Shema and the meat part, if you will, right there in the middle of that chiastic structure. The last question we want to look at is why was it written? 
I really like how Dr. Miller from Cedarville University points out that if you use the shorthand for Deuteronomy as DTR, that means defining the relationship. And it's so true because Deuteronomy is all about relationship. God is the Israelites' true king, and yet he often describes his relationship to them as a father to a child or as a husband to a wife. Just in preparing for discussion today, you read Deuteronomy 1.31, where Moses writes, And in the wilderness, where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you, as a man carries his son, all the way that you went until you came to this place. God has been carrying the Israelites like a child because that is about as close of a relationship we can understand between uh, two humans. So he puts us in that frame of mind. This relationship was also a covenantal relationship between God and his people. And Deuteronomy was a restating of that covenant. You might ask, what's a covenant? A covenant was an agreement between two parties, either between an individual like Abraham or between a group like the Israelites. This covenant began with Abraham, and these are his descendants that God promised to give the promised land where his people can prosper and multiply. And here is what they are to do in return, their side of the covenant. In Deuteronomy 4, 13 through 14, we read this. He declared his covenant to you. He commanded you to follow the Ten Commandments, which he wrote on two stone tablets. At that time, the Lord commanded me to teach you statutes and ordinances for you to follow in the land that you are about to cross into and possess. So out of this relationship, they are to assess their choices. Right now, they are in transition. They are about to go from an old way of life into a new one. And they have a choice about how they are going to live in this new land. Are they going to stay within the covenant and remain faithful to God and go the way of life? Or are they going to go outside of the covenant to disobey God, to go their own way, the way of death? At the end of Deuteronomy, Moses begs the people to keep their side of the covenant, to pledge their love and loyalty to God alone. He said, this is the only way to choose life. All other ways lead to death. Spoiler alert, <laughs> they did not hold up their end of the covenant. And Moses prophesies at the end of Deuteronomy that they would not. Though they did not hold up their end of the covenant, Spoiler alert again, God did, and he always does. In fact, since Jesus came, we now call this covenant we've been talking about the old covenant as it anticipated this failed outcome, but also anticipates Jesus coming to hold up our end of the covenant for us. So now we live under the new covenant. And in this new covenant, Jesus perfectly lived out the stipulations of the old covenant that man could never do and took our place on the cross through his perfect sacrifice so that we could live in right relationship with God. And this covenant now is not just for the nation of Israel, but for all who believe. This is the undeserved gift of grace of the gospel. 
Because of the love we received in the form of Jesus, we are freed from death and sin and free to respond in love to God as the Shema calls us to do. So why do we love God with everything? Perhaps a better question is why does God love us with everything? He chose the Israelites for no discernible reason, except he loves them. He loves them because he loves them. It doesn't go any further back than that. It's not because they're big or faithful or impressive in any way. No offense, Israelites. No, they're sinners and full of weakness. They are not faithful, but God loves them. Deuteronomy 7, 6 through 8. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the people who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you, for you were the fewest of all the people. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. It is the same with us. There is no discernible reason God would love us, yet we, we are weak sinners, yet God chose us because he loves us. And this love made a way for us. Ephesians 2, 4 through 8 says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Being a lover of God starts with being beloved, receiving his gift, and accepting the way of life he has offered us through Jesus Christ. We love God because he loved us and made a way for us. If you have not accepted this gift, I invite you to pray and receive the love of Jesus Christ. Welcome to a new way, sister. Dayton Women in the Word exists to help women read their Bibles. If you have been blessed by our ministry and free resources, would you please consider giving a donation at DaytonWomenInTheWord.com slash donate. Oh,